All right, here we are live. This is Totally Uncensored, and I'm Mike Robles, and today I'm delighted finally to get my guest, who I've been trying to get for a long time, but she's been so busy, but we have her today. I'm talking yes. about the one and only, the funny woman, the funny lady, the comedian, Gina Mariyong. Hello, Gina. Hello. It's good to see you. Likewise, likewise. It's so good to have you. I know we've been missing each other, but finally. Yeah, finally we got it together. On my part, it was my part. It was my bad. No, no, not your bad. It was a good thing. It was a good bad because I was thinking like, well, you know, she's busy and I'm looking at this and I go, well, you've got three specials, right? You got, let's see, yeah. specifically speaking, easily offended. And the, the floor is uh, lava, which is currently on uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. And then you did Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. And then most recently, American Got Talent. I did. That's and now crazy. you're a new you're a new mom. I am. My little one is almost a year and a half. All right. So that explains why you've been so busy. So <laughs> I guess my first question is how or where? How do you find the time to juggle motherhood, career? Um how do you do it? I don't know. Like anybody else, I think you make the time. You make yeah. the time. It's like you know, everybody, when I found out I was pregnant, there was a lot of people that were like, oh my God, your career, like, is this the smartest decision for you? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I mean, I guess I've always been that way. Like, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to be right. like, <laughs> I'm just right. like, I bet. <laughs> like, I can't do it. I bet. Cool, cool. I'm do it. So I think that's just been the driving force is being able to show my son that you know, anything is possible. So for me, it was like, I have to bust my ass. It's hard work, but right. it's worth it in the end when you have the right motivation, you know? Right. Now tell me the experience. What was America Got Talent like? Because you were one of the finalists, right? It was, yeah. Made and, it to the top 10. Yeah. It was a crazy experience because I've really never gone through anything like that on that grand of a scale where you're in front of so many eyes right. on a weekly basis. And it's a crazy trippy world. And, and the pressure was enormous, Good but man. like anything else, I mean, just like with motherhood or with comedy in general, like I didn't go into it thinking, man, this was hard. And I didn't let, this is going to be hard. I didn't let that enter my brain. It was just like, you got to treat this like work and this right. is what you do. You work. So Treat this like work. Go in and do your job. And whatever happens that's outside of your control happens. Mm. Like, I can't control any of the outside factors. So all I can right. do is go in and be like, look, I'm going to deliver this. Like, this is my special. Like, this is my show. Like, y'all all came to see me. And every week I will deliver it. Like, this is my show. And you guys came to see me. And right. that's the only thing I could really control. So, but at every point when I made it, past every level up until the finals. I was like, what? <laughs> no, that's a lot of pressure there. But walk me through the process. How did you how did you get selected to be on American Got Talent? Well, well, the thing is, and like this is it's like this with any of these competition shows, um the producers had heard about me. And they had heard about me through other comedians and, you know, just through, they have people that watch social media, that watch certain performers. And so I had been contacted by a couple of different producers for probably like two or three years in a row. They were like, you know, we'd really like Regina to consider doing the show. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it and I don't really like competition shows. So I wasn't really into it until basically everything kind of fell at the perfect time because... I had had my son. I had this big thing to prove to my son that anything was possible. 
I was just coming out of the pandemic where work was scarce and, you know, I did what I had to do. You know, I did corporate gigs. I did Zoom shows. I did outdoor shows, you know, so I could still pay bills and take care of everything. So at this point, it was like, what a worst scenario is that, you know, um, what I don't, I, I make it, I don't make it past the audition. Okay. Mm-hmm. I still had a lot of eyes on me, even if I just do the audition. So it was like, do the audition, see what happens. And like a big part of it and a big part of coping with all of the stress was letting go of the stuff that was out of my control. Because that's what, I think that's what really gets to us as performers is we try to control what's not within our control. And so for me, it was like, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I could bomb epically. I could get nothing but hate mail. I I mean, I had a friend who did... Um, when Last Comic Standing was big, I had a friend who did Last Comic Standing, and she said yeah. all she got was a bunch of hate mail, like, <laughs> with the way that the show was edited and, like, right. everything. She was just like, all I got was hate mail. Like, people hated me. Yeah. So there's always that fear of, like, I don't know how this is going to come across. Right. You know? Well, you came across you came across great because obviously you made it to the finals and so on. But now, when you go from one step to the other, right? Like, how much time do you have to prepare that new set? When when we were in the thick of it, so like from the audition to the first official set live, there was an ample amount of time. I just didn't know if I had made the cut to make the live shows. Ah, So, like once they told me I had made the cut, I think I had about two weeks. Right. Come up with a two to three minute set um, to do for I think it was the quarterfinals or the semifinals, mm-hmm. whatever, or the quarterfinals. And then um, again, once you make it past then, then you have like another two weeks, essentially right. a week or two weeks to come up with another two to three minute set, okay. um, which is a whole nother job in itself when you're a comic and, you know, those shorter sets can sometimes mm-hmm. be <laughs> more work than right. an hour long set because right. with an hour you have so much time to play with right. it's almost like man i can do whatever i want in this hour but when right. you only have two to three minutes to right. let an audience know who you are what your point of view is and some of the things that have happened in your life like you only got three minutes to show those three very important things right. so you have to get down to it and the right. hardest part was editing out a lot of stuff that i'm normally used to saying yes. in a bit and trimming the fat and getting down to just and connecting things that don't normally connect together to tell a story. And so that, that made it challenging, but it also kind of made it a fun thing to do. Right. It really, it really did. It put the work in front of me, but I guess because I looked at it like, Oh, this will be interesting. Let's see how we do this. Almost like, almost like a, somebody who loves, making inventions. I was like, I'm going to see how I Frankenstein this set together and we'll see how it works. Right. Well, you were great. You were great. Not only were you funny, but also you were looking sharp. You know, you had like... Oh, I'll tell you what. She looked like you went shopping on Rodeo Drive before the show. If it was not for (laughs) wardrobe and hair and makeup, your girl would have been in sweatpants. Like, I would have been... I had. I was just coming off of, like, my son was, was barely almost a year, I think. Um, like he made a year, I think while I was, while I was filming. Um, but man, I tied to, to, I actually told the wardrobe people, I said, like, I'm really self-conscious about my body right now. I'm still trying to lose the baby weight. I 
I already have trouble watching myself on camera. I was like, I just, I need something that makes me feel confident, but it's also comfortable and something that I can feel like good in, you know, like I can really enjoy being in that outfit and feel like a boss. And so the first outfit that I wore, I wasn't 100% thrilled with because it was really out of the box for me. It was like tighter than I would normally wear something. And but it, everybody thought it looked great. I just didn't feel like it looked great on camera. And so after that first outfit where I said I was a little, you know, still feeling a little self-conscious, I think we really worked together to find the looks that I was really comfortable with and that I really liked and that I felt were flattering. Um, but yeah, that was a whole, that's a whole nother process. And I don't know if guys go through it, honestly, in the same way that women go through it, where, you know, we're so afraid to be scrutinized for everything we wear. Not you know, guys, we destroy. Does it look good or not? <laughs> we're not, I guess, it's, it's, right, it's right. conscious because either way, we're going to look stupid anyway. I know it's, you know, a well dressed, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. now, did, the, did they pick out the clothes for you on America Got Talent? Not, well, they would pick out a bunch of outfits and um, mm. I would try them on. We would take pictures and then I would consult my counselate of girlfriends. <laughs> I would be like, what do you think of this outfit? What do you think right. of this outfit? And I would see who thinks, oh, this looks great. Oh, no, don't do that one. And I would like listen to them and see what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, like, and then sometimes wardrobe would pick a dress. Like they had picked this one black dress that I wore during rehearsal. And um, the producer's like, she can't wear that dress because it, I literally looked like a floating head. Like it just completely <laughs> did not just look like I, my head was floating and there was nothing else there. So sometimes that happens too. So I'm just glad I had professionals because like, right. child, I'm in I'm in stretchy pants right now because right. I'm all about comfort right now. So. Yeah, why not? So so now it's the finals. Nobody knows yeah. who's going to win and so on. So. What is going through Gina B. Young's mind as, you know, the finals, you're on, what are you thinking? Um, a lot was going through my mind. A lot of it was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm in the finals of AGT. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, right. what does this mean? I could possibly win. I could win for comedy. Like, if me or Josh Blue would have won, it would have been such a win for comedy because- right. comedians have never won but here's the thing and here's the reason why um and i wish i would have gotten to say this i think i did say it in an interview but they just didn't use that um i said the reason why people say like a comedian i I met with this producer years ago and she said the most brilliant thing to me because it was so accurate she said a comic will never win america's got talent because a good comic a skilled comedian makes it look effortless and you're up against acrobats and dancers and mm-hmm. fighters and this. And so you go up there and they don't see how hard the job is because they don't realize that to me, the magic of stand-up comedy, the most amazing thing about stand-up is that you take a room full of people who have never met each other before this night and you somehow connect them all through stories from your life. The magic is connecting a room full of strangers just on your own stories, your own point of view, your own you know, opinions on things. You get an entire room of people to laugh, to look at each other and nod in agreement. Like mm-hmm. That to me is the magic that not everybody can achieve. Of course. And so when she said that to me, I was like, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense because 
we do make it look effortless. We really do make it look like it's the easiest thing in the world. When you know what you're doing, you just walk up there, no fear, no nothing. You do your job and then that's it. So to everybody else, it doesn't look difficult, which is the hardest battle on a show like that is to sell how difficult stand-up comedy is. Everyone knows it's difficult, but it doesn't play that way on screen. She's 100% right. And and it's like, Nobody knows how hard it is when you're doing comedy, and the easier it looks means the harder that you put into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just you work to get there, and, it, and it's you and you alone. You know, like a, a singer has a band to hide behind, acrobats has all these yeah. lighting effects. You get a bad note as a singer, you can do a crazy riff, and people yeah. are over that bad note. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not, and people will scrutinize singers. That's not to diminish what they do, right. but. It's just, it's different when you're a comic because right. even I, as a, as a student of comedy, somebody who right. loves comedy to this day, right. still watches comedy specials. I love comedy. Right. And even I look at certain things and I'll see comics make certain mistakes, but I'll know they're funny. I can watch right. a comic bomb and be like, no, that person is funny. Yes, They're yes. just not funny to this audience. Correct, correct. You know? I was one talking to, uh, you know, Tito Nieves. I, I like it like that, Tito Nieves. Yeah. And I was saying, like, man, I wish I could do what you do. Go up there with the band behind me and just lay it out. I would look to be a singer, I guess, to perform that way. He goes, he goes, Mike, he goes, I could never do what you're doing. He goes, see, if I'm having a bad night, I'm not feeling well, I let the band take over. Yeah. I work to the side for 10 minutes, come back. But with a comedian, it's just you. You, you can't say, let the band take over. Yeah. You gotta just you the mic, and that's it. You gotta finish it. So uh, it's right. They don't appreciate how hard it is. I don't and people... people understand that when you're doing comedy, yeah. your mood right. and sometimes your mental health takes a backseat. Yes. Because you're like, you may be terribly depressed about something, but you know the only way that you're gonna get over it is by getting on stage. The only right. way you're gonna feel good about yourself is by doing this thing that every comic that I know that has lasted in this business right. has a deep-seated love of comedy. And when I meet new comics, it's the first thing I tell them is, you have to love this. Yes. Because if you don't love this, you're going to quit. You're going to quit because it's gonna get so hard. Before it gets easy or fun or before you get paid, it's going to be so difficult. So if you don't love this or if you're just doing this for fame or you feel entitled in any way, just quit now because eventually you're going to wash your hands of this. Because I will say this 100% in comedy, it's the hardest work I've ever done is my comedy career. And it's the thing that I've always loved the most. It's the longest lasting relationship in my life has been my relationship with stand-up comedy. And it means the world to me, but it is also the most effort I've ever put into anything. So it means that much. And when people want to get on stage, it's like, you know, you really have to love it enough to go to an open mic at 2 a.m. and perform for two people because that's the only spot that you have that week. And that spot means the world to you. And when, and when I, when I'm talking to newer comics, I just kind of really kind of put a lot of weight on that, that and getting on stage as much as possible. Like, I don't care if you're performing, I performed everywhere from delis, Mm -hmm. bars to Mm -hmm. firehouses. What's your most memorable performance as far as like, oh my God, I, you know, like for me, for example, was in New York, two in the morning, open mic, right? 
on Seventh uh, Avenue in Bedford. I think it was some gay joint, uh, and it was two in the morning. Just two people in the audience making out. Mm. Two two girls making out. Sounds about right. Look, Sounds about they right. Were, they would look at me on stage. Go back to making out, and you know it's almost humiliating in a way, but. That's you're like part white of, noise to them at that point. You're just right, like right. white noise to them in the background. <laughs> so how about you? What was your, you know, one of those memorable? I have so many. Like you said at Delhi, right? You performed at a Delhi? I performed at a Delhi. Um, still, ironically, not the worst show that I performed okay. at. Um, I performed it. I did so many firehouses, which was really uncomfortable because I was usually the only female and they could have cared less that I was there. I did a corporate <laughs> once in San Francisco where before I went on stage, the person running the event came up to me and said, oh, by the way, they didn't know how good a female comedian would do on this lineup mm -hmm. since the audience is majority male. Best of luck. Oh, God. Oh, great. Um, oh, so been like, there have been so many gigs because I put my all into it. I did right. any kind of stage time I could get. Right. So, I mean, I just mastered the art of performing and leaving. I would just That's go to my set and then I would leave because it wasn't unlike for the guys in the business where it was like right. you could hang out and potentially get more work and network. Right. If I hung out late, being a female in the business, right. I was sending so many mixed signals to these guys that are like, oh, there's a female hanging out. Like, mm -hmm. is she trying to hook up with one of us? It was right. never, I was never looked at as somebody who was um, doing any kind of, what do you call it? Networking when right. you're late night out late night. It was always like, right. if you're a female and you're hanging out late night, you were looking for something else. Right. And so being a pretty street wise kid, I learned that pretty quickly after a couple right. of incidents where, <laughs> Yeah. I, you know, things things got uncomfortable. I just I I realized the game isn't the same for me, so yeah. I can't I can't play it the way the guys play it. I well, let me ask you. Play it. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: as a female comedian, right? How 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 would you? What extra stuff, or what do you have to do to protect yourself in the sense of not running into incidents like you did? Like, do you have to do anything? Um, go out of your way to do anything extra? Uh, just well, to make me, sure. Yeah, there was a couple times where like I, I had perfected this speech. If I was gonna hang out with guys, even if I thought they were my friend, I perfected right. this speech where I was like, Look, I'm cool if we hang out, we can chill, we can talk shit, everything. But if at any point I feel uncomfortable, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and that's literally what I would say. And I'd be like, and I'm not, thank God, I'm not like, I'm short, but I'm not a petite person. I got a big back. Like, I look like I could beat the shit out of you. But you're so, kickboxing, right? Yeah, I do. I've done like uh, MMA, um, jujitsu, Muay Thai, and stuff like that. I want to go back into jujitsu, um, but I messed up my knee. I sprained my knee and I had moved. It was a million excuses. I really want to get back into it though, because it's. I think it's such a great self defense form. But yeah, I wasn't afraid to scrap with dudes. And I was like, I just had to let that be known. Like, I don't want to send any mixed signals. I'm hanging out. But if I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And I would I would say it very seriously. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. I will beat the shit out of you. And you could, right? Then you could. <laughs> and I could. I was like, I got a lot of rage in me. I am short, but I am mighty. And I will beat the shit out of you. So it was like stuff like that, or just being able to openly tell somebody. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think a lot of women in comedy need to learn to not silence their voice when they feel uncomfortable. Because 
you have to get to that point where you're like, you know what? I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. I need to go. So when I talk to young female comics, I tell them the same thing. Like, and I mean, young as in young to the game, like new right. to the game. Like I tell them the same thing, be very straightforward with these guys. If you're working with them, everything has to be on the up and up. And I had a female comic hit me up a couple of weeks back and she said, Gina, I don't know what to do. This guy that's headlining, you know, he invited me out to open for him, but now he's saying there's only one hotel room. And I said, tell him you're not doing the gig. Sorry, even if your intentions are good. Unfortunately, as a female, she can't take that risk. She cannot take that risk and trust that your intentions are good. She has to watch out for her own back. And she has to be on. Like for me personally, I've had times where I've worked with a male opener where if they didn't have a hotel room, I have paid for their hotel room so that they could have their own room. You know what I mean? Like I'm only sharing a room with somebody who's a close personal friend of mine and somebody that I absolutely trust. So anytime... And I used to do the same thing when comics would be like, yeah, there's only one hotel room we got to we gotta share. I'd be like, well, guess I'm not doing the gig because yeah, right. no. I couldn't take the chance. Even if you're a stand-up dude, even if you're a good guy, like, right. sorry, I can't risk it. Right. Definitely. So let me ask you. So now we have Gina Young before America Got Talent yeah. and then Gina Young after America Got Talent. So how did America Got Talent change your life as well career? How did it, how did it change I your mean, career? Or did it? I mean, it may change in the career. I can't lie. Like, you right. know, people, I'm getting more bookings at shows. I'm going to cities that I haven't been to before, right. which is really nice. Um, and that was, you know, that's definitely a plus of doing the show right. is more people know me now from being right. on the show. Um, right. And I, you know, appreciate that. As far as me, as like me as a person, like I'm still the same person <laughs> from when I went into America's Got Talent because- right. I'm always like, what's the next thing? Like, I'm that person that's like, I did this thing and it was great, but now what's our next thing? What's the next goal to work towards? So it's like, that did wonders for booking on the road. Like, I'll always highly recommend that comics at least audition for the show and go out and audition for the show. I met a young comic, um, I think it was when I was out in Texas and, you know, she was like, I don't know, I've been thinking about maybe auditioning for the show. And I said, just do it because if you don't, then you're just going to have that what if moment. And the worst thing they could say is no. Right. Once you've been, I feel like once you've been in this business long enough, if the worst thing you can get is a no, then you got to at least take the shot because no only hurts because we consider it a failure as a failure is like such a bad thing. I've learned my best lessons from my failures, from when I dropped the ball, from when I was told no. Without those lessons, I definitely wouldn't have been strong enough to be on a show that put that much pressure on an individual. If I hadn't let myself learn from my lessons, my failures, my mistakes, my missteps before and take those lessons to heart. And so I wasn't afraid to hear no for a very long time. I was like, if the worst they could say is no, I'm going to take every no I get until I get a yes. Right. There you go. Somebody's going to say yes. Somebody. Yeah. It's just about not taking those no's to heart. And that is difficult. Mm-hmm. Trust me, when I didn't get Montreal the first time or second time I auditioned, like, I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, like I make people laugh. Like, you right. know what I mean? I you know, it's not that you don't get to experience the hurt of hearing no. No, mm. your feelings are valid. You should feel hurt, obviously, but you can't stay in that. Otherwise, you learn nothing and you right. become afraid of hearing no and it prevents you. Like, if I had gone to the audition, the one thing I kept telling myself when I was getting ready and gearing up for the audition for AGT was mm. 
no matter what happens, it does not validate you or invalidate you in any way. If you go through and you make it to the next level, that does not validate you. Because once you put all your eggs in that basket where this show validates you, the second you get a no, you feel embarrassed, you feel ashamed, and you don't want to do comedy anymore. You don't want to take a chance on yourself anymore because that one person, you put all your value in what that one person thinks of what you do, which is why... Seriously, on the show, the mm-hmm. people I admired the most were the ones who came in, and maybe everybody was like, that act is awful. Right. But they walked out with the same confidence they walked in with. It was never a question of, I care what Simon or Sophia or Heidi or Howie thinks, right. or even what the audience that was there thinks. I know I have this talent. And yeah, maybe it's not for everybody, and there's plenty of right. acts that have been like, hey, man, do you. But- right. Those people that left with that same level of confidence, I really right. envied that because they don't put weight in either thing. It's like if I would have made it through, I just would have had a little extra confidence, but I'm right. still confident what I do. Right. You know, and y'all saying no doesn't change that. And that's such a big factor in getting over those things. Well, you mentioned like to you it was about what do I do next after this? You know, that's mm-hmm. what you so what 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 are you gonna do after America got to what do you plan? What's next for you? I mean, there's so much like that I want to do, you know. All right, all right. So would I love to have a sitcom on on the air? Yeah, I've loved sitcoms since I started watching comedy in the first place. So I would love to have a sitcom on the air. Um or at least on streaming because streaming is where I would aim for mm-hmm. for any kind of project. Would I love to do movies? Hell yeah, I'd love to do movies. That would be amazing. Right. I would love to do a TED Talk. I would love to, uh, I can't wait to do my next special, which okay. I already have a title and a concept for. Can so you say the name or not yet? The title or the name? Or you don't want to give I, it away? I won't say it yet. I won't say it yet. I won't right. say it. But right. I love it so far. Yeah, and um, once I have a title for a special, I start to see, it's almost like, I start to see the outline of the special right after I have the title. I go, okay, cause here's my main point of what right. I want to talk about in the title. Right. And then everything else kind of falls around it and, and it, gives me a clear vision. Is it 30 minutes or one hour special? What are you planning on doing? I would probably do an hour. Okay. You know, do an how hour. Long, how long would you say it would take you to get one hour ready to tape? Some people take a year, a year and a half. Like, I think it's got to take at least a year to two years. I did, um, craziest thing I did was shoot my HBO half hour and then five months later shoot an hour. So for those five wow. months, I worked my ass off um, with my writing partner, um, mm-hmm. Jason. He came to every set and he watched every set, took notes, helped me um, organize my stories, helped me pick out like this topic I want to talk about and this topic I want to talk about. Right. Like It was great, but we worked tirelessly like I went up and literally worked out an hour special in 15 to 20 minute sets in the city, like just doing different. So once I perfected one 20 minute set, it's time to work on the next 20 minutes right. and then the next 20 minutes. And so um, I would say though, normally I wouldn't take less than a year to do a special because you need to write the material. Then you need to workshop the material then you need to tour with it so that you get used to doing the hour in like a certain rhythm and a certain order. And muscle memory. Uh Yeah. You need that muscle memory because it's a full hour of material. 
So you have to at least stay somewhat on point as to what you want to talk about, even if you're doing like a crowd work special like Todd Berry did or something. There's still some sort of work that you're doing, you know, where you're trying to keep it in line with, you know, your outline. So for me, I would say, you know, that's why a lot of specials take about a year or two years before somebody comes. I think a year is the quickest I've seen guys like Burr and and other comics like put out a special like a year after. But I think even Burr takes about two years or a year and a half or two years between right. specials because you also need time for life to happen right. so that you have stuff to talk about, you know? Yeah, so that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise you're just, what are you going to talk about if you do a special every couple of months? Yes. How much has your life really changed, you know, in right. three months or six months? Like exactly. you, you want to build up that material. I mean, some people can do it because they're writing machines. There's this kid, right. Josh Johnson, who's on um, The Daily Show. Josh is like a material machine. Like that boy could probably write a half hour special in a damn week. Like I've never seen no. anybody write like this young man. And um, it but that stuff excites me when I meet people like that, because it's right. such a, it's a motivational thing where it's like, man, it makes me feel like, man, I gotta, I gotta buckle down. I gotta start. Mm-hmm. I may not write as fast as him, but like, I right. need to start really buckling down and, and getting my writing schedule in order and forcing mm-hmm. myself to do a lot of the, the hard work, which is the behind the scenes work. Well, I would guess probably the next special would include now that you're a new mom, right? Oh yeah. You have a there's baby boy. Material, but it's also like, there's a lot of people that are like, well, um, since your mom is it only going to be mom material and i'm like no not only mom material but that's a big chunk of my life like i'm married and i have a kid like and you married you're married to also i guess a white guy like you said i am married a real white right man uh (laughs) my husband is is very white um i mean he got a little sass on him but he's very white yeah yeah and uh so how did a how did a puerto rican girl from the boogie down bronx Hook up with a, a white, a very white guy, I guess, from the Midwest, right? How yeah, we met on a cruise ship. I was working on a cruise ship, and um, my husband is a musician, so he was working on a cruise ship, too. Okay. And I met him. I had a crush on him pretty instantly, but <laughs> he didn't seem interested. Like, he's a real, like, we're similar in that right. if you don't tell me, if you don't go, I like you, <laughs> then I don't know if you like me or not. Okay. But if I have a crush on you, I'm not going to say nothing because I'm too scared that you don't like me back. So I had a crush on him and I was like, man, this dude just doesn't seem interested. And it's because Mm -hmm. he's the same way. Unless you're like, yo, I like you. He has no idea. So I was like, damn, I had, I I really like this dude. There were other guys on the ship because everybody, it was like, when you're on a cruise ship for as long as we were, because this was on my only my second time on a cruise ship, and I was doing like a month or like a month and a half long contract, something like that. Is this on Carnival? Um, it was on Norwegian. Norwegian career. Yeah. And it was okay. like the that and that's still a short contract in comparison to my husband's contract that were like six months long or three wow. months long. Okay. So um I got on the ship and it was a transatlantic cruise. So we were going from Southampton in the UK all the way to Miami. So we were gonna be at sea for ten days. Wow. And so there are so many entertainers and I had a crush on my husband, but there was a lot of cute guys on that shit. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, then here's here's the the thing about me, the fire sign in me. Um, okay. I could flirt for days if I'm not actually interested in you. I can flirt like a pro if I don't care if you like me or not. Really? But if I like you, 
I cannot even look at you because I get nervous. Really? I had a crush on my husband, so I couldn't flirt with him. But I could flirt with other people that happened to be in our same area. So he thought that I was um, hooking up with this one young dude. And I was like, no, I mean, we flirted a little bit. You know what I mean? But like... First of all, when it comes to like young dudes, they fun, but they're a job. I can't. <laughs> I don't have time. I'm sorry. I don't have time. I don't have time. And there's something about older guys that I've always liked. I've always dated. I only dated like a twice. I only dated somebody younger than me. Okay. And it's a catastrophe. It's just, I had to tell the one dude, I was like, you're 25. Go be 25. <laughs> go be 20. I need you to go be 25. And uh, so I didn't mind flirting with the young dudes, but it was right. like, now too much of a damn headache. I can't. Okay. You know? <laughs> and so when I finally started, when my husband finally asked me, because what had happened was one night after the show, he came up to me and he was like, you know, you're really funny. I'd never seen you perform before. And I think you're the most beautiful female comic that I've ever seen. And I was like, that's very specific, but thank you. And (laughs) we ended up talking the whole night about music and comedy. And he was like, oh, it's too bad that you're hooking up with so-and-so. And And I was like, says who? (laughs) I was like, who told you that? We not hooking up. And he was like, oh, word? (laughs) I was like, no, I'm not hooking up with him. No. Mm -hmm. So that's when he was like, (laughs) oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh. So, so, so you both you you both hooked up, and the rest is history, as they say. Right? The rest is history. Like we we were inseparable after that night that we talked, and um, he was he just kept telling me how beautiful he thought I was. Oh my god! And I he's was like, like he's a Stop! Oh my god! I, I I didn't know that white guys from the Midwest were that romantic in the sense. They're of- sweet. See, here's my thing. They're sweet because I feel like I well, feel like women they they can be romantic they have a sexiness about them the the latin men that i've been with that okay yeah that are and it's it is a little bit of that machismo that is is in the culture that i that i still like a little bit of like the you know i'm a man i'm gonna take care of you blah 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 sorry sorry ladies sorry woke ladies that might be watching this (laughs) but as much as i love my wokeness there's a part of me that that's just what i'm attracted to so i like a guy that's like that but this Midwest white boy is just, he's the sweetest, most protective, most supportive person that I've ever, I mean, I've never met anybody. He is my biggest supporter. Like it is insane how much, I mean, and we love each other, each other's performance. Like I'm, I'm a fangirl when I watch him perform because he's a phenomenal musician. He's a wonderful entertainer. And when I get to sit back and just watch him, that's really all I want to do is just sit back and watch him do his thing and have a fun time with it. And he's the same way with me. Like well, let me, he, help, he, help me understand one thing here. It's like, so there's Latino men and then there's white men in there. Yeah. And just help me understand in the sense like if, if, if what is it? I know love in the eye to beholder and all that, but what would make me decide, you know, I'm Latino, like a Latino, what would make me decide the white guy or the white girl versus the Latino one who culturally we have more connected in that. I'm just yeah. curious. Like, well, what first, was- first I was with, I was with a Mexican guy for seven years and it was literally 
an emotionally abusive, unhealthy, toxic relationship. Oh, okay. And right. just because somebody <laughs> is Latino like me does not right. guarantee that right. we're going to have a great relationship. Right, Even right. though culturally we might understand each other more, oh, Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, by the mm. way, <laughs> totally different cultures. <laughs> but, but, but do you feel safer with a white guy, I'm saying? Like, it's or... not really safer. The only time that it really comes up, because to me, I'm a love is love type person. Mm -hmm. I'm a love is love type person. I love people's energy. Mm -hmm. So it was his energy and his spirit and just his personality that I fell in love with. And that's been the case for anybody I've been in a relationship with. If I like your energy, then I'm already attracted to you because Mm -hmm. you create good energy when you come around. Now, whatever our differences are in time, because he wasn't my, my husband wasn't my first white guy. I had dated a white guy. The first white guy I dated was for five years. And that blew my mind because I didn't think white guys liked Spanish girls because, or like Spanish girls like me, because I wasn't a stick figure. I always thought white guys only liked stick figures and I've (laughs) always been curvy. And so for me, I was like, no, there's no way white guys are going to like me. Okay. And I ended up with dating this white guy for five years and I was like, oh, and then dated another white guy. <laughs> well, he was Italian. Well, you so like I, white guys. Then. That's you like white guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was dating an, an Italian guy. I don't count Italian guys as white guys. But <laughs> Italian right, right, guy right. for like three years. Then I dated a Mexican guy for seven years. You know, and then back in the day, I, you know, had dated Puerto Rican guys and stuff like that. But for me, it was never about someone's culture. It was just okay. about their vibe and their personality. Like if okay. you're cool mm-hmm. and I like your vibe, I'm going to be attracted to you no matter what. Like okay. it doesn't matter. But for me, the biggest thing was like, as soon as we got to the point where our families were meeting, that's when I think there's a more cultural aspect that comes into play where okay. it was like, what are the traditions at your house? What are the traditions at my house? Like, how do we like, I had, you know, there's things that, you know, like you have to bring a gift if you're right. coming to somebody's for dinner, like just little traditional things or right. like it's particularly even in my household, like with my mom and my dad, like if they notice that the person that I bring over isn't helpful, right. isn't like willing to do their part. Like if you're coming over for a family holiday, if they don't see you at some point picking up some trash or doing some dishes or helping everybody out, it's like they, they will, you will be judged. You will be judged. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this now. So that's great. So, you know, and, and he seems like a great guy. And Oh, he is. Congratulations. Now, but he's in show business, right? And, yeah. And obviously, you're in show business. Do you feel like there's competition? How do you balance that out? Because obviously, you know, there's egos involved. Yeah. You understand that, you know, when it comes to show business, I have to have a little I, ego, you know. Yeah. How do you kind of balance that out? There's no... With us, no, there's none of that. And I think it's because he's in music and I'm in comedy. The times when I was dating comedians, I did feel that because I felt like whichever one of us was doing better, the other one always felt like that reflected negatively on them. Like It always felt like, oh, if so-and-so is on The Tonight Show and I don't even have my first late night, I must be a shittier comic than this person. And so there's a lot more of that when we're in the same, when I was with guys that were in the same profession as me. But when it comes to me and my husband, because he's a musician and 
It all also depends on your view of success. Does my husband want to have a song on the you know top 100? Yeah, it'd be cool, but it's also unnecessary. He just wants to do what he loves for a living and get paid. Like, right. I just want to be a musician. And right. for him, like, he puts on an incredible show and people love it. And he's not, he's not looking to be a Justin Bieber or anybody else. He's looking to right. just be successful and happy and live the life he wants, which is one of the many reasons that I fell in love with him was we kind of had the same view of success. It's like, right. I don't have to be famous to right. be successful, but people equate success and fame. And it's like, no, I could just right. be successful and happy and working right. and very content with my career until I'm ready to retire. And yeah. we kind of had that same view of what success really looks like. Now, you do know? you want to give your husband a plug? You mention his name or you keep him yeah. playing? No, I don't want these hoes seeing my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're some cute hoes. No. Uh, <laughs> my husband's name is Jeremy Oren. You can see him play down at Bar 9 on the occasional week. You can always check the schedule and see who's going to be there performing that night. He's also a regular at the Borgata in Atlantic City, so you can watch him there if you're out in Jersey. That's great. That's great. Man. But so, he's married, so don't get don't get crazy. Well, you know, Jada, I'm so happy for you because you know you've worked hard at what you do, and obviously success is coming your way. Obviously, it's deservingly, and you're a new mom, and you're in love, and a husband. So it's almost like it's it must feel great, feel good to be Jada Young. You know, it's just like you're doing what you love, and I guess you're blessed, is what I'm saying, and that's good. It's good to see that. You know, I am I am blessed. I feel blessed. I feel very lucky. I. I'm grateful every single day because not everybody gets to live their dream. And like, here I am living the dream and trying to relate to others to say like, every reason you tell yourself that you can't reach that dream is just right. you telling yourself you can't. There's right. literally, I don't have any magic powers. I don't, I'm just, I have this relentless work ethic right. and I refuse to quit particularly when somebody else tells me to quit. I refuse to quit because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put my all into it. And that is my choice to put my all into it. So I never required sacrifices from anybody else, but I was willing to make every single sacrifice for what I wanted to do. And that's all it takes is that willingness and that kind of passion for something that's like, you have to constantly remind yourself to not give a shit what anybody else says or thinks. Right. Unless they're literally giving you the most sound advice of your life, right. if they are trying to tell you what you should do with your life, you don't right. need that kind of person. And that's what's great, you know. So it just goes to show you, you know, you can be from the boogie down Bronx, female, mm -hmm. Puerto Rican, Latina, you know, and be successful. But not only that, but be happy and yes. uh, successful. And what else could you ask for, man? So before I let you go. Anything you want to share with us? What you you know before we let you go? You want to let us um, know? Yeah, check out my special, The Floor is Lava, on Amazon. Uh, you guys mm -hmm. can find me online. It's at Gina Brion on Instagram at no, at G Brion on Instagram at Gina Brion on TikTok. Either way, type in Gina Brion, you'll find me. Mm -hmm. um, spell it wrong, you'll still find me. <laughs> check out GinaBrion.com for any upcoming dates. I have. Uh, dates coming up uh i believe in washington and in cincinnati so 
check out my website and check out my uh, podcast, which is called Mess in Progress. We're on hiatus right now, but we are coming back in the beginning of next year. And yeah, check out the episodes. We've had some really cool guests and we've had some really fun episodes. So Awesome. Well, you know what, Jada, man? Thanks so much for being here. Totally Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate it and, you know, continue success. And I'm also a big fan and, you know. Thank you so much. I, I mean, I've been a fan of yours years, years ago, year, years ago. We worked together <laughs> for like a hot second at well, the was... West Palm Beach Improv. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, we're going way back now. <laughs> and so I... I am so excited that I got to do this and thank you for being patient because I know it was crazy for a while. So I appreciate that. No problem. Just no problem at all. All right. Well, you have a great, great uh, holiday and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, man. It was good seeing you. All right. Likewise. Take care. Bye. All right.